the southern United States in the 1500s, part 16, Interpreters in Arkansas. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 16 of Long Histories, the southern United States in the 1500s. This is a text written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvers. He took part in an expedition headed by Hernando de Soto, which began in April 1538. The expedition explored large parts of the southern United States, from Florida to Arkansas and most of the states in between, and as such this includes many of the first ever European descriptions of these areas. In the previous episode, Hernando de Soto crossed northern Arkansas from east to west, meeting many groups of people along the way. He found Arkansas to be a plentiful land and begins this episode in Tulia, which is an area at or near the most westerly point of Hernando de Soto's journey. On a constant search for better lands, he hears that towards the south the lands are better, so he changes direction and crosses Arkansas back, this time heading to the southeast. One particular theme of this episode, and the reason for its title, is the issue of communication. Hernando de Soto struggles to communicate with the local people for various reasons and openly states the importance of a good interpreter. As this episode begins, however, Hernando de Soto, known as the governor in this text, has been part of a battle against the people of Tulia. He retreats to a place called Callas before heading to Tulia once again, only to be attacked again. But this time the Spanish are prepared. The governor determined at once to go back, before the inhabitants should have time to come together. That afternoon he set out, and travelling into the night, he slept on the road to avoid Tulia and arrived the next day at Callas. Three days later he marched to Tulia, bringing with him the cacique, among whose Indians he was unable to find one who spoke the language of that place. He was three days on the way, and, at his arrival, found the town abandoned, the inhabitants not venturing to remain for him. But no sooner did they know that he was in the town, than, at four o'clock in the morning of the first night, they came upon him in two squadrons from different directions, with bows and arrows and with long staves like pikes. So soon as they were felt, both cavalry and infantry turned out. Some Christians and some horses were injured. Many of the Indians were killed. Of those made captive, the governor sent six to the cacique, their right hands and their noses cut off with the message that, if he did not come to him to apologise and render obedience, he would go in pursuit, and to him, and as many of his as he might find, would he do as he had done to those he sent. He allowed him three days in which to appear, making himself understood by signs in the best manner possible for want of an interpreter. At the end of that time, an Indian, bearing a backload of cowskins from the cacique, arrived, weeping with great sobs, and coming to where the governor was, threw himself at his feet. Soto raised him up, and the man made a speech, but there was none to understand him. The governor, by signs, told him to return, and say to the cacique that he must send him someone who could speak with the people of Cayas. Three Indians came the next day with loads of cowskins, and three days afterward came twenty others. Among them was one who understood those of Cayas. After a long oration from him, of apologies for the cacique and in praise of the governor, he concluded by saying that he with the others had come, in behalf of the chief, to inquire what his lordship would command, for that he was ready to serve him. At hearing these words, the governor and the rest were all rejoiced, for in no way could they go on without a guide. He ordered the man to be safely kept, and told the Indians who came with him to go back to the cacique and say that he forgave him for the past and greatly thanked him for the interpreter and the presence, that he should be pleased to see him and to come the next day that they might talk together. He came at the end of three days and with him eighty Indians. As he and his men entered the camp they wept 
the token of obedience and the repentance of a past error, according to the usage of that country. He brought a present of many cowskins, which were found very useful, the country being cold. They were taken for bed covers, as they were very soft and the wool like that of sheep. Nearby, to the northward, are many cattle. The Christians did not see them, nor go where they were, because it was a country thinly populated, having little maize. The cacique of Tullia made an address to the governor, in which he apologised and offered him his country, his vassals, and his person. The speech of this cacique, like those of the other chiefs, and all the messengers in their behalf who came before the governor, no orator could more elegantly phrase. Chapter 27 How the governor went from Tullia to Autiamque, where he passed the winter. The governor informed himself of the country in every direction. He ascertained that toward the west there was a thin population, and to the southeast were great towns, principally in a province abundant of maize, called Autiamque, at the distance of about eighty leagues, ten days' journey from Tullia. The winter was already come. The cold, rain and snow did not permit the people to travel for two or three months in the year, and the governor feared to remain among that sparse population, lest his force could not be subsisted for that length of time. Moreover, the Indians said that near Autiamke was a great water, which, from their account, appeared to him to be an arm of the sea. Hence, he determined to winter in that province, and in the following summer to go to the seaside, where he would build two brigantines, one to send to Cuba, the other to New Spain, that the arrival of either might bear tidings of him. Three years had elapsed since he had been heard of by Doña Isabel, or by any person in a civilised community. Two hundred and fifty men of his were dead, likewise one hundred and fifty horses, he desired to recruit from Cuba of man and beast, calculating out of his property there, to refit, and again go back to advance, to discover, and to conquer, farther on towards the west, where he had not reached, and whither Cabeza de Vaca had wandered. Having dismissed the caciques of Tullia and Cayas, the governor took up his course, marching five days over very sharp mountains, and arrived in a peopled district called Kipana. Not a native could be captured because of the roughness of the country, and the town was among ridges. At night an ambuscade was set, in which two men were taken, who said that Autiamke was six days' journey distant, and that there was another province toward the south, eight days' travel off, called Gahate, very abundant in maize and very populous. However, as Autiamke was nearer, and most of the Indians spoke of it, the governor continued on his journey thither. At the end of three days he came to a town called Anoichi. Having sent a captain in advance, with thirty horse and fifty foot, they came suddenly upon the inhabitants, taking many of both sexes. On the second day afterwards the governor arrived at another town, called Katamaya, and slept in the adjacent fields. Two Indians coming to him from the cacique with the pretext of a message, in order to ascertain his business, he told them to say to their master that he wished to speak with him, but they came no more, nor was other word returned. The next day the Christians went to the town, which was without people, and having taken what maize they needed, that night they reached a wood to rest, and the day following arrived at Autiamke. They found in store much maize, also beans, walnuts and dried plums in large quantities. Some Indians were taken while gathering up their clothing, having already carried away their wives. The country was level and very populous. The governor lodged in the best portion of the town, and ordered a fence to be put up immediately about the encampment, away from the houses, that the Indians without might do no injury with fire. Measuring off the ground by pacing, he allotted to each his part to build, according to the Indians he possessed. 
and the timber, being soon brought by them, in three days it was finished, made of very high trees sunk deep in the ground, and traversed by many pieces. Nearby passed a river of Kayas, the shores of it well peopled, both above and below the town. Indians appeared on the part of the cacique with a present of shawls and skins, and a lame chief, the lord of a town called Tieticaco, subject to the cacique of Autiamque, came frequently to visit the governor, and brought him gifts of the things he possessed. The cacique sent to the governor to inquire what length of time he would remain in his territory, and hearing that he was to be there more than three days, he sent no more messages nor Indians. But treated with the lame chief to rise in revolt, numerous inroads were made, in which many persons of both sexes were taken, and among the rest that chief, whom the governor, having reprehended and admonished, set at liberty, in consideration of the presents he had made, giving him two Indians to bear him away on their shoulders. The cacique of Autiamque, desiring to drive the strangers out of his territory, ordered spies to be set about them. An Indian, coming at night to the entrance of the palisade, was noticed by a soldier on guard, who, putting himself behind the door as he entered, struck him down with a cutlass. When taken before the governor, he was asked why he came, but fell dead without utterance. The next night the governor sent a soldier to beat the alarm and cry out that he saw Indians, in order to ascertain how fast the men would hasten to the call. This was done also in other places, at times when it appeared to him they were careless, that he might reprove those who were late in coming, so that for danger, as well as for doing his duty, each one on such occasion would strive to be the first. The Christians stayed three months in Autiamke, enjoying the greatest plenty of maize, beans, walnuts and dried plums, also rabbits, which they had never had ingenuity enough to ensnare until the Indians there taught them. The contrivance is a strong spring that lifts the animal off its feet, a noose being made of a stiff cord to run about the neck, passing through rings of cane, that it might not be gnawed. Many of them were taken in the maize fields, usually when it was freezing or snowing. The Christians were there a month in snow, where they did not go out of town, save to a wood, at the distance of two crossbow shots, to which, whenever fuel was wanted, a road was opened, the governor and others on horseback going to and returning from it many times, when the fuel was brought from there by those on foot. In this time many rabbits were killed with arrows by the Indians, who were now allowed to go at large in their shackles. The animal is of two sorts, one of them is like that of Spain, the other of the colour, form and size of the great hare, though longer even, and having bigger loins. Chapter 28 How the governor went from Autiamke to Nilco, and thence to Guachoya. On Monday, the sixth day of March, of the year 1542 of the Christian era, the governor set out from Autiamke to seek Nilco, which the Indians said was nigh the River Grande, with the purpose, by going to the sea, to recruit his forces. He had not over three hundred efficient men, nor more than forty horses. Some of the beasts were lame, and useful only in making out the show of a troop of cavalry, and, from the lack of iron, they had all gone a year without shoes, though, from the circumstance of travelling in a smooth country, they had little need of them. Juan Ortiz died in Autiamque, a loss the governor greatly regretted, for, without an interpreter, not knowing whither he was travelling, Soto feared to enter the country, lest he might get lost. Thenceforth a lad, taken in Cutifachiqui, who had learned somewhat of the language of the Christians, served as the interpreter. The death was so great a hindrance to our going, whether on discovery or out of the country, 
that to learn of the Indians what would have been rendered in four words, it became necessary now to have the whole day. And, oftener than otherwise, the very opposite was understood of what was asked. So that many times it happened, the road that we travelled one day, or sometimes two or three days, would have to be returned over, wandering up and down, lost in thickets. Juan Ortiz, mentioned at the end of this episode, was a Spaniard who had been stranded in Florida for a decade before coming across Hernando de Soto's expedition. He had some knowledge of local languages and customs and was the only Spaniard with any ability to deal with both cultures. We can see his importance earlier on in the episode when Hernando de Soto struggles to communicate with some of the locals and strains to find someone who can understand them. The gentleman of Elvis himself in this narrative makes clear just how important the loss of an interpreter was. When he says at the end of this episode, what would have been rendered in four words, it became necessary now to have a whole day. Although the death of this interpreter may seem like a small detail, Juan Ortiz has accompanied Hernando de Soto throughout his whole journey, and the death of such a key figure in the expedition, as we'll see starting from the next episode, begins something of a downward spiral for Hernando de Soto. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of Long History. Please give the episode a like before you move on. This is the 16th episode of a 25-part series. There's lots more still to come, so don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 16, Interpreters in Arkansas. Goodbye.